everybody. Michael Lombardo here. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. It is always my joy to speak to you today. For those who are new to the podcast, we have a new show every Monday and Thursday streaming through CharismaPodcastNetwork.com. You could also download the app Charisma Plus. There's you know, my, you know, my podcast is on there, um, several other podcasts, articles, a lot of great content, free content for you to grab hold of. And you can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, pretty much anywhere that podcasts are listened to, you can tap in. For those of you who are aware of this podcast, those who are faithfully listening, thank you so much for tuning in week after week for sharing this with your friends, with your family. So many amazing testimonies have come back to me of people being blessed, encouraged, awakened to the beautiful gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, people who are being touched and spreading the word to their family, friends, using these podcasts, you know, for their for Bible studies and, and home gatherings and things like that. And so um, really, it's such a blessing to have this community here and you guys really helping spread the word. And so bless you guys. Thank you for that. And I'm excited about my show here today. I've got an amazing guest with me and we're going to dive into the heart of God today and what we feel like he is saying in this present time and in this hour. And so no further ado, my guest today, his name is Sean Smith, him and his wife, Krista. They are international speakers. They are ministers who represent the heart of the father. They want to impact the nations with the heart and the love of the father. They want to equip and empower God's people to walk in a kingdom lifestyle, to take part in the, in a mighty harvest that is on the Lord's heart. And so they look for God's presence to saturate this next generation. They're really after revival with everything in their being. Him and his wife, Krista, they host a podcast called Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista Smith, also on the Charisma Podcast Network. He's also an author of several books, and so I know at the end of the show, he's going to tell you a little bit more about his ministry and where you can connect with what he's doing and what they are both doing together. And so anyway, Sean, thank you so much for tuning in with me today and being with me. Hey, Michael, great to be on the show, man. Sure appreciate it. It's an honor to be here and being able to conversate with you, man. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And so um, what I, where I'd like to go with this typically, I love to hear people's hearts and I love to hear how they encountered the Lord. Yeah. Can you just give us a little bit of background, maybe the a short glimpse into, man, how did you first encounter the Lord? I know you're a fiery man of God. I know that you're prophetic. I know that you're doing so many amazing things that, you know, um, for the kingdom of heaven. But how did this how did this relationship start with you and the Lord? Hey, I met uh, the Lord Jesus on a college campus, and it was really interesting because I, I grew up uh, inner city Oakland, West Oakland, really, really tough upbringing. Uh, my, my dad and mom were not married, didn't even see my dad till I was five, then had a part-time relationship with my dad. He came in the picture. He lived probably about 30 miles away. He'd come pick me up maybe every other weekend. Then my dad was tragically murdered oh, uh, by policemen. Uh, when I was nine years of age and they proved in court, it was racially motivated. So that was challenging. You know, my dad had not committed a crime. Oh man. And, uh, so my mom was very good. We didn't know the Lord, but my mom was very good about not blaming the race of officers and, and making it a race thing, but just that they're, they're bad people and they can be different colors. And so my mom's biracial herself, or she was biracial. She's going to be with the Lord. Mm. So my grandmother, uh, a little bit earlier than that was sent to, to raise me. So all this is important because my grandmother was the first to give her life to Christ. She was an alcoholic all my life, raising me from probably two years old. I think she came. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my mom could work a couple jobs. Then sure. I was a junior in high school. My grandmother gets delivered from alcoholism. She goes to the small Pentecostal holiness storefront church, Come on, breaks all her alcohol bottles. She gets saved. Well, that tipped me off like, man, Jesus has the power to set 
my grandmother free from a <laughs> lifetime addiction. So like good. that was just, it just blew my mind, right? I was mind blown. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was awards monies given from the unlawful death of my dad from the, the police department uh, because in court they, they mandated it. Absolutely. So I was able to choose this university in Stockton, California, NorCal, northern, more north and east of me in the Bay Area growing up in Oakland. Uh, party, did all that stuff. So anyway, to bring it to a head, one night I came back from partying. This would now be a year after my grandmother went to be with the Lord. My grandmother tragically passed from cancer, lost the battle of cancer. Mm. So I'm at the end of it. Michael, I'm, I'm going to commit suicide the next day. That was, that mm. was fact. Not just, uh, you know, many people, they say 90% of the emerging generation has suicidal thoughts at one point, mm. but they would never act on it. I, sure. I had a plan. I was going to enact it. But my grandmother made me promise, man, that I would call on the name of Jesus. So one night after clubbing, I came back to my room. I called on the name of Jesus. And for years, I didn't share this part because I thought this part would land me in a padded cell in a, in a strapped up suit and people thinking I'm crazy, but Jesus walked into my room. I saw Jesus, man, uh, with my eyes open, wide open. I, he, he talked to me and the first words he said to me, I heard the audible voice of God. Obviously I'm seeing this fiery being in front of me and uh, I can, I could make out the corporeality, you know, body parts, appendages and all that. But the face was just like John in revelation says mm-hmm. his eyes were like lightning his face was like the sun shining. And he said, I'll be a father to the fatherless. Well, to, to really launch from there, he had me at that point. It's like the old classic Jerry Maguire movie, classic line, you had me at hello. <laughs> when he said, I'll be a father to the fatherless, he showed up in my room. Mm-hmm. And I was radically, radically converted. I went wow. witness to everything that moved. I immediately stopped immorality before anyone showed me in the Bible that there were certain activities in my life that weren't right, didn't glorify God. God just removed the desire from it. Uh, it was radical for that day. I was a DJ. I broke all my secular albums. I know different people have different convictions. I'm not saying that that was the move for everyone, but sure. that's what it was for me. It represented my past. Absolutely. And it launched me. I began to witness to people on my college campus. And then that segued a little bit after that I, I got involved in campus ministry. And that was my first place where I began to step out in, in ministry. So that's kind of my, my story there. Man, I love that. That is that is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love hearing about dramatic encounters with the Lord Jesus that takes you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son in light. It's beautiful. Just even my story, I, I relate with it. And many who listen to the podcast faithfully have heard my story. But when I was in my room, I was broken, depressed, miserable, turned to God as my last resort. I tried everything to make myself happy, more drugs, more girls, more money, more hobbies, whatever I can do to make myself happy and break depression and brokenness off of my life. Nothing worked out. And when I cried out to the Lord in my room as a last resort, he poured out his love and his forgiveness and his presence on me in such a tangible, thick way. And the first thing he said to me, um, the, the, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. And I knew it was him so obviously, but he said, you are my son and I have plans for you. And I just, I love, I just love that when he, when he, when he approached you, when you encountered him, he said, I will be a father to the fatherless saying that he is now going to be your father. I just love how the Lord, you know, he is, he is a dad. He is, he is Abba. He is a good father and we are his sons, his daughters, and he wants us to identify with that. We, we, we're his children to whom he is well pleased because of the finished work of Christ. And so I just love when God encounters us, he speaks such identity. And so it's awesome, man. So good. yes, 
So Absolutely. Good. So good. And so thank you for sharing that. And so I want to get into where we're going today. We're talking about what we feel like the Lord is really saying and birthing in this season. And we know, you know, the cultural climate, the current climate has been has been intense. It's been it, you know, and that's to say the least. And, you know, from 2020 transitioning into 2021, you know, there's just been a lot of setbacks. There's been a lot of people struggling with depression, a lot of people losing their jobs, a lot of people, you know, even there's 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 things in ministry. People are getting exposed. Things are coming out. It's just been such a time. Right. It's been a, such a time of just radical renewal, but also exposure, you know, in, in the world, but also in the body of Christ. And so I'd love to hear your heart and kind of dive into this a little bit today. Like, What do you feel like the Lord is saying in this hour as it relates to possibly this country or even just this church in general and in terms of where he's taken us? I think one of the biggest things, and I think this is so key, Michael, is I call it crisis in the cul-de-sac. And and my description of that is, I believe it's Exodus 14, God curiously leads the nation of Israel when he's broken them out, if you will, of 400 years of servitude and bondage. He's brought plagues down on Egypt and Pharaoh, the then known world power and tyrant. And mm-hmm. as he's doing that, he leads the children of Israel up against the Red Sea and, uh, and against Migdal, which literally means these tall crags, or maybe we would call them cliff mountains. So he hems them in, in kind of this, this topical uh, cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. And there's only one way in and out. And then all of a sudden, as he leads them in, Pharaoh's army comes in behind them, so they're hemmed in. So the crazy part is, why would God have delivered his people and then deliberately lead them into the cul-de-sac? And and I feel like in America, 2020 was this cul-de-sac in our nation, for that matter, for the world. God, and I'm speaking specifically of the church, he hemmed in the church in such a way that God has got to be our deliverer or we don't make it out. Mm -hmm. That God was causing the children of Israel to get their eyes off of all the other things, you know, the, the human arm of help and the things that we lean on and look to, to yeah. get us through, mm-hmm. to get us by, to get us over. He hemmed them in because it's in the, you know, it's been said that crisis is often where Christ is. Yeah. That when you're a child of God and you're in the midst of crisis, the real crisis is not your circumstance. The real crisis is the inability to see Jesus like the disciples in the storm and they couldn't see him. So what happens God speaks to Moses. He lifts up a rod, the greatest miracle that they would speak for generations to their children, 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 et cetera, was that how God parted the Red Sea. I mean, that mm. was so awesome, yeah. man, that obviously, man, even secular world made a movie out of it, you know, many movies. <laughs> sure. yep. And so I, I feel like God brought us in this place between the pandemic, the pandemonium, the panic, all of these things to bring us into a place we would look up and see Jesus. And I think if you compound that, Michael, with the, the election, kind of this entire election experience that we went through as a nation, it, it was back and forth. It lasted as long as any modern election in terms of we had to decide as late as, I don't know, some would say probably a week before January 20th or whenever. And I felt like all of this is really about this verse. And here's the verse I really feel that we're at. But mm-hmm. like we're in Isaiah 6, where mm-hmm. Isaiah says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, which was very, again, it was very ironic because Uzziah was a good king. He really was a good king. He was a godly king. And I did a little research. He was not only a great political figure, 
uh, he fortified a wall that, that he built that would uh, strengthen and protect the nation of Israel. He literally, in many ways, pioneered this. Uh, we've seen him in movies where they kind of have this, this lever and this fulcrum where it can throw multiple arrows and, and mm-hmm. big rocks at the same time. So scholars say that King Uzziah did it. But at the tail end, King Uzziah, it went to his head that he had done all this and he was filled with pride. He did a presumptuous act. And so it was his undoing. So the, the situation from Isaiah's perspective, even as a prophet, is that this guy and what he accomplished so filled the eyes of God's people that it was in his loss that they actually saw the Lord. So yeah. he says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And it goes on to say, as soon as he saw the Lord, he begins to say, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so there's repentance. There's yes. an acknowledgement of, of this, the junk. Then he gets a visitation. Seraphim come from the, the throne of God, bringing a hot coal, touches his lips. And I, I believe that God is purifying the, the, the voice and the mouth of the prophets. And I feel like when people say they've heard from the Lord, they will have heard from the Lord. God's purifying the voice of the prophet and the prophetic ministry, not just the fivefold, but mm-hmm. all those. And then the very next thing we know, and I'll turn the mic back over to you on this mm-hmm. one, is Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. So what went mm-hmm. from a major political loss to a place where the church of the Old Testament, if you will, the prophet got right, to a visitation, to the hot coal touching the mouth and God literally strengthening that connection and that prophetic, you become now the mouthpiece of my awakening, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then he awakens to, I would say, our New Testament equivalent of a missional moment. He begins to see, okay, here I am, Lord, send me now. I'm ready to be sent. Because I believe there's a massive harvest. Mike, I believe there'll be a third great awakening. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, on the sly, on the, on, on the down low, so to speak, there are massive people that America's h- hard because sin hardens you. But we cannot misinterpret their hardness with their closed. And this is what people say, that if you're hard-hearted, you're closed-hearted. Not necessarily. You can be hard-hearted because of sin, but open-hearted because of the season God's brought you through. Wow. And that's where America's mm-hmm. at. We're hardened, no doubt, but we're open. And Jesus had the ability to walk up to people, whether they were tax gatherers or prostitutes or, or people caught in various sins or people that had political interest against Jesus and his mission, but he could find them in the right time that although they were hardened, they were open-hearted. And so I felt like this crisis has done something to the church, but it's also done something to the harvest and gotten them ready. And all the other stuff, truth be told, I think it's always been there, like racism. That's always yeah. been there. Mm-hmm. This is not new. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. many things are surfacing now. That's right. Because two, two, two things. One, I believe God is behind some of that, right? I mean, sure. obviously he's not behind the riots and the, and the yeah, craziness that, mm-hmm. that Antifa or the extremes of BLM or whatever, yes. but he is in a season of exposure yes. because you can't deal with something until you, you got to reveal it to heal it. And so God is revealing our hearts where we're at. And uh, as, as hard as it is to look at some of the stuff, I feel like there's some very promising things. And I feel the church is being positioned for something greater, but we do, and I don't want to skip over this, man. We do have to repent. We do mm-hmm. as a church. Yeah. And, and when I think of repent, yeah, take out the laundry list and, and you know, acknowledge the sins. 
But more than anything, it's kind of like, as Bill Johnson would say and others, the repent is renewing your mind. Mm-hmm. Like beginning to think the way God thinks and let go of mm-hmm. the way that we have held on to for so long. And that's kind of the, this metanoia, this repentance. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree 100%. I love what you're talking about there in terms of the crisis. You're talking about, and you're, you're, bringing, you're, you're talking about, you know, the wilderness, and you're talking about these different scriptures, those, you know, Uzziah and, and, and what happened there. But it's just in that place of brokenness where you feel like you're dry and it's barren and you're in this wilderness, you know, it's, it's a beautiful place where, where God can birth a miracle. And I truly believe right yeah. now, like, like you said, People might be hardened in their heart because of sin, because of their lifestyle, because of what's happening, but because of their outward outward circumstances, because of what's taking place in the natural, you know, people cannot cling to the things they once clung to. People cannot do the things that they're used to doing, comfortable doing, so they have to turn to God. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes things either get worse in our lives before we actually look up and say, Jesus, I need you. Call out to the Lord and you shall be saved. Unfortunately, you know, if we don't have sometimes rough circumstances and you know i hope it's not always this way for everybody but you know it, it causes us to cry out to the lord and really seek his help and 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 find help but you know a lot of people think that the wilderness is a place where miracles are absent that's not true at all the wilderness is a place where miracles are born and we see that we see all the miracles that that took place in the in the you know in in the life of the you know of the israelites and jesus was even like a root out of dry ground and the miraculous that he brought in that such such an essential time in in Israel's history and you know so many people want a miracle we love talking about healings we love talking about miracles we love talking about all that stuff but we don't want to be put in a position where we need one which isn't that's it you know we want Jesus to be our miracle worker and our healer but we don't want to be put in a position where we need to be healed or we need to see a miracle but we are in that time now and I just I really see just kind of piggybacking off of what you said as well in this time of uncertainty in this Uh, time of exposure that God is really, I believe that as people draw near to the Lord, they're going to encounter him in ways they never have before. And the greatest missions movements, the greatest revivals all came out of encounters with the Lord Jesus. And so, you know, the Lord's doing something mighty in this time and in this hour. And even it says in, um, Oh, where is it? I think it's Ephesians. Yes, it's Ephesians where it talks about God taking things out of the darkness and bringing it into the light so that it will become light. God is not exposing some things that have been hiding under the surface because he's a mean God, because he wants to, you know, expose people. No, he's bringing things out into the light that was hiding in the darkness so that it can become light, so we could be free, so we could be delivered, so we could be revived and made whole. And so this is essential. I know that you're a big um, revival history guy that you've learned from and, and received from revival history because you want to see it take place today. So it's so important to learn from what has taken place in the past. I'd love for you to speak a little bit about that in terms of like, you know, do you, uh, do you, can you think of a historic revival or movement that kind of speaks to our current season today or kind of speak into that a little bit? I, I do, as a matter of fact, and I feel like it may surprise some people because it's one of those revival movements and stories that isn't as widely told. You know, people have heard of W.J. Seymour and the Zuzu Street Revival, mm-hmm. and many others have, have heard of Evan Roberts and the Welsh Revival. But there was a pastor by the name of James McGrady, and right about 1797, so we have won the Revolutionary War, but right after it, uh, we, we kind of came to a generation, because generations, people are, are not living as long as they are today. So there was a generation that kind of came a little bit after some of the ones that it fought and some of the ones that really stood for God. And they were being influenced by the French Renaissance. 
And so mm-hmm. it, it would be our version today of a secular humanism had seeped into the American psyche and mindset. And so people were abandoning their faith. Uh, there was godlessness. And so James McGrady, I believe, is in an Ohio area, and uh, he's got a, 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 I would say, kind of a cush church. It's kind of easy, yeah. so to speak. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, he started teaching on revival and getting desperate that, hey, having a nice church and you know comfortable and making a living is just not enough. God, there must be more. And I think all revivals begin to happen when you begin to realize, hey, I'm not going to settle for less when more can be had. And yeah, so God mm-hmm. awakens us to the more. We begin to say, hey, there's a greater place of intimacy. There's a greater place of communion. There's a greater place of hearing his voice, of walking in the kingdom and the power. And so he had been teaching on revival, Michael. And so he thought, you know what? I don't want to just talk about revival. These are nice Christian religious folks. I want to go to the toughest place. Well, the toughest place at that time was a place in Kentucky that they literally called Satan's stronghold. So can you imagine, you know, you're in Dallas. I'm in the Oakland, San Francisco Bay Area. You imagine if you had a place in Texas or California that they name Satan's stronghold. <laughs> you know, it'd be one thing, you know, sure. Las Vegas is known as Sin City. Sure, yeah. Satan's stronghold, it was also called the Devil's Den and Rogue's Harbor. And the reason why is all outlaws went to this place. And for whatever reasons, one of the reasons is that there was no law enforcement there. Uh, number two, it was a bit of an Alcatraz Island in the sense that some people that were kicked out of cities and outlaws were sent there. And then the other thing, there was no chaplain, which I thought was an interesting uh, kind of observation. There was no chaplain. A lot of areas had pastors that they had ministers. There was none there. Mm. So James McGrady moves his family there and it's by a place called the Red River. So he, he merges about three or first pastors, three different churches that between the three of them, they didn't even make two dozen. So you imagine you got, you know, you got your camp, your main campus and you got two satellite campuses and between the three of them, you don't have 24 people. Yeah. So he led them to begin to pray. Well, the moment he did it, things break out. It's typical with, with revival. Number one, the, the people that were anti-God began to threaten him. They began to send him threatening letters written in blood. They burned his pulpit, right? Then religious people left his church, like, you know, religious people oh, like, man, we're not, in yeah. a sense, we don't want this revival thing. We don't want our, our apple carts upset. What's this Holy Spirit stuff? And so the people he had left now, he's probably getting down to a dozen, but we know God can do some proper things with a dozen. No, for sure. <laughs> he, this guy doesn't back up. He doubles down. He begins to pray and fast. And I looked at his fasting schedule. You would think they did three, uh, you know, 24 hour house of prayer. They were praying for all these number of years. He had them pray, like, I want to say the first Saturday of every month they would fast, and then they would meet once a week for praying. But he just, he, he essentially had them sign a contract. And the contract was, we're going to give our lives to this thing. So yeah. in the backdrop of a total, when I say pandemonium, I mean, if <laughs> this place where he's at, if Utter you darkness. could have extreme, hey, if you could have extreme, uh, edges of ISIS meet the extreme edges of Antifa. Yeah. This is where you're at. Then you got religious folks coming at you. Then you have this place where it's unprecedented that there's not a church there. It's godless. It's pandemonium. People are fighting each other. He plants it right there. And then the power of God breaks forth. The religious people get right. And it's usually the case when the church gets revived, the lost will be awakened. Yeah. Then the people who are attacking them 
started getting saved. Then he gets these crazy testimonies of these dudes that were straight up outlaws. I mean, they were, the kids would say it was OGs, like original gangsters. <laughs> They're saved. In the process of this, right, this guy by the name, last name of Barton, I think it was William Barton, and then this guy, Peter Cartwright, and this guy, Francis Asbury, who would be the circuit writers, and some of the white whammers would, would appreciate his name. These guys got impacted by the Red River, and then just down the road, the people that came from this, there was such an overflow, they, they took to a field, and this is where more people now maybe have heard of this revival, called the Cane Ridge. Mm-hmm. So they went to the Cane Ridge, and they'd have these all-night tent camp meetings, Cane Ridge Revival. Well, that spilled over to the Second Great Awakening. So most of the scholars would say the Second Great Awakening, which we think of Finney, Jeremiah Lanthier and the Businessman Prayer Revival, millions upon millions of people brought about reform, and, and the abolitionists rose up during this time as well with changing you know, stuff as it relates to slavery. All of it came because one pastor said, I want to go to hell's hole. I want to go to the absolute worst place in a time when the church was not received, in a time when you had the people most out of control, angry, yeah. and you had mm-hmm. uh, poverty, you had everything the only thing I, I couldn't find, but I bet if you found it, if you would, the only thing I couldn't find was some sort of uh, pandemic in terms of a health crisis, but they had every other crisis. And one man stood and God sent revival. Mm-hmm. And, and here's my thought. Like, it's so bad, it must be God. Like, yeah. <laughs> you would think that's the worst place. You know, if yeah. I'm, I'm part yeah. of the art church planning group, I'm not going to Satan's stronghold. I want to plant over here, maybe where he was. Mm-hmm. But this guy knows that if it's that bad there, it must be because the redemptive calling over that area is so big. Literally, you know that the dude was digging the well for the second great awakening. Powerful. So I feel like that revival speaks to us so mightily because I think we look and we think it's that hard. And God wants to remind us, no, it, it's not hard. The hard thing is not for God to reach North America. The hard thing is for God to reach the church. If he can get his church, if my people are called by my name, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, everyone knows that scripture. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. It's time to get to the other half of Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Let's get on the other side of that, and we do it by doing the if part. We got to do our part. If we do our part, because we can wait on revival, and we might wait a long time. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, revivals. I will admit this, their church obtained, but, and Christ attained, like his church obtained, O-B-T-A-I, in, uh, obtained, mm-hmm. yes, E-D, but it's Christ attained, uh, A-T-T-A-I-N-E-D. Mm-hmm. So he attains it, but we obtain it and we do it by partnering with the Lord. That's so good. that's one revival I could think of. Wow, that's good. And, you know, so many of us, we cry out for revival. We want the, you know, the uh, miracles, the signs, the wonders, the supernatural events. We want the salvations. But when it shows up and it's messy, <laughs> people are wondering, what, what in the world's going on? We, pray, we, you know, we cried out for revival. Well, this is sometimes what revival looks like. And the Lord will lead us to the darkest places. And sometimes things get darker before they get brighter and filled with the light of Christ. But you know, it's, um, you know, we, we expect it to be a certain way, but when, when you look back into revival history, you do see the mockers, the scoffers. You see, uh, you see that God was sending people into dry places, places where the, where, 
you know, everyone thought they were okay, where people were scoffing at, at, at a move of the Holy Spirit. And so this is, this is right. essential, and God needs to, if he's going to get to the world, he needs to get to his church. And I truly believe, you know, like, right. yo, know, this, this podcast is called Awaken Podcast, and I always say this to my, to my guests, you know, Ephesians 5.14, Awake, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That was the Apostle Paul writing to the church, not writing to the world. And so he was saying, wake mm. up, church, wake up, church, wake, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so as, as, it, as the church of Christ, our hearts need to be awakened to the beauty and majesty of who he is, what he has done for us. The gifts that he has given us, who we are in him, the mission, you know, but we need to be awakened first because Jesus even said himself, the world will know you are my disciples because of your love for one another. And honestly, you know, even now in this time, it's it's unfortunate and I'm not um, ridiculing or criticizing the bride. It breaks my heart, but it seems like so many have been squeezed and goodness and the fruit of the spirit hasn't been coming out, but just, just the, the, the negativity and the bashing of the opposite side and the, Oh, this, you know, Biden, this and blah, 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 you know, and despair and despair and like just people that have been so affected by what is taking place. But no, we need to rise above. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to be living love. We need to stretch our hands out to the hurting and to the poor and to the broken. Like God needs to get to us first and make us Christ-centered, focused upon Him. Like, like you said, we're, you know, we're, I truly believe that we are revival, and that God, when He wants to move in a land and in a place, He chooses people. He picks people out that will actually say yes to Him and will be an extension of His kingdom. He doesn't just drop it from heaven; He moves it through people. And so that's good, man. I love that. Oh man, this is key. So I'm so glad we're talking about this today and even just kind of transitioning. I would love to end this podcast with going into, you know, I've seen a lot of people hopeless, despairing because of so many people were expecting Donald Trump to be the president again. And there were so many prophetic words from amazing Christian leaders, amazing Christian leaders that I, that I admire, that I love. And so many have come out humbly and, and said, you know what? I, I missed it on this one. And, and, you know, and there's some people that are still saying like, no, it's going to come to pass. And they're like, refuse to um, come to that place. But I just, I've seen, I think more than anything, I think I've just seen so many of God's sheep and his people so confused in this time. And I would love for you to shed some light on how do we navigate times like this, where there's been prophetic voices that have failed and people have clung to the prophetic voices instead of just really just being in tune with what the spirit wants to do and, and learning how to rise above when the expected end isn't what we want it to be. Yes. I have three thoughts on that. One, I think it helps any believer to understand the distinction between an old Testament prophet and a new Testament prophet. The old Testament prophets, they didn't have any wiggle room to, to miss it. There was no, mulligans. You couldn't have a do-over. You missed yeah. it because the, the general people of Israel, they did not have the spirit of God dwelling in them. So they were reliant upon this uh, prophet, priest, mediator to go between them and God. So God spoke to them and moved upon them by a spirit in a very sovereign way. So it wasn't left to interpretation. Uh, it was, quote, God. And so mm-hmm. if you misquoted it, it was pretty evident. It wasn't because of an error of transmission. It's because you were trying to deceive so they were stoned. They were judged. Yeah. Now, in the New Covenant, God put his spirit on all flesh. Hallelujah. Amen. Shout everybody down. <laughs> yes. Joel 2, God poured out his spirit. That's, we're in this Joel 2 moment. Well, the Bible lets us know, and, and now it kind of I want to lead to the second point I want to make, is now understanding, before we talk about why people are disillusioned, because I've got great friends, as you are, that came out and said, hey, 
Trump is going to be reelected. And many of them, uh, obviously, there was a, a prophecy by a, a, a prophetic individual went to be with the Lord that prophesied. Yes. And from that mm-hmm. point on, you heard more and more people prophesy. And obviously, he was right on as they were on the first election. We're all shocked like that. That He was down. We went to bed. He was down by, I don't know, 10 double yeah. digit percent. He, we wake up, he won, and he, mm-hmm. lost, he lost, if you will, the popular vote, but won through the electoral, and it was like, wow, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I think people just assume, hey, that first part was right, the second part's got to be right. I think a lot of times, as, as prophets or prophetic individuals, you can kind of be swayed by, A, previous prophecies, um, voices of men and women of God that you love and respect, mm-hmm. personal biases, where you've got leanings, emotionally, you're, you kind of can become uh, subjective, which can cloud sure. your ability to hear the voice of God. Mm-hmm. But I think here's where we got to arrive at. First Thessalonians 5.19. It's two things that I think we've made the mistake. And, and, and Chris and I, we talked about this on a previous uh, podcast of our own. Uh, Michael, we said, it begins by saying, do not quench the spirit. So obviously, if it's do not quench the spirit, read what follows preceding that, because that's letting you know what would quench the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And Paul goes on to write to the church at Thessalonica. He says, do not despise prophecies. And then he says, and test all things, test all prophecy. Yeah. So here's two things we can do to get out of the will of God. So notice how I'm phrasing it. This is getting out, like this is what not to do. Sure. <laughs> what not to do is to despise all prophecies and test none of them. That's, mm. And I think that's what we did. I think now you've got a group of people that are despising the prophetic, and because wow. they're despising the prophetic, they have fallen into this error, and because they've fallen into this error, they have uh, put themselves in a place where they're not hearing from God, and as a result of them not hearing from God, they've missed on what the prophetic does. The Lord wants to come to encourage His people. Yes. And as He's come to encourage them, they could have the prophetic and it could, it could help them. Mm-hmm. So then the next thing that takes place is to test the prophetic to be like, okay, we'll go with that. That's good. That's fine. Well, no, the Bible says you got to test it. So I feel like what's necessary is this place where we begin to not despise it. We embrace it, but yeah. we test it and say, this witness. And then the final thing I think is very much this. If a person publicly prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass, you publicly made the prophecy. You need to publicly make it right. That's right. So that could be repent. That could be asked for forgiveness, explain your process. And I've got a great friend of mine that I think did a great job on this. Uh, And he says, hey, I'm not even going to try to make it seem like I... Mm-hmm. you know, missed it. I jiggled. Hey, this, if you have a time sequence or something like this in the area of a person, you know, like Trump will win, this is going to happen in this election. The moment that doesn't happen, you've got to throw that word out and go back and hear clearly from the Lord. That's right. Now, maybe part of that is right. Maybe part of it, like I, I'm not saying this, but let, as an example, uh, what if, you know, Donald Trump were to run again in uh, the next election, he were to win. Well, you know, if that's the case, I'm not saying this is happening. I'm not saying I'm pulling for this or anything like this. Yeah. But then you would say, hey, the word was right, but the timing was wrong, which 
makes sense because the Bible says we know in part, prophesy in part. So sometimes you don't know. It's a clouded uh, kind of a prism that you look at. And so I think that's important to recognize. And I just say to people, the best thing is so mercy, so mercy in this season. And understand when when I've counseled, let's say I've counseled uh, singles that feel like, hey, this person's supposed to be my wife. That person's supposed to be my wife. The best thing to do is to take time and pray and fast. Why? Because your, your emotions will cloud you. You so like a person, you want them. You want to hear that that person is going to be your spouse. That person is supposed to be your lifetime boo, mm-hmm. your, your helpmate. But you're so emotionally charged, it's easy to hear from your emotions. Yeah. So it's not always that someone has an idol in their heart, you know, or they're a false prophet. Yes. It's that you could have, in the midst of it, you could have just a simple bias. And in that bias, you lean towards it and then you can hear through it. And so I'd say give people grace, forgive people. But for the body of Christ, it's a good, in a sense, heart check. It's the King Uzziah died. You, get, you have to see the Lord in it. And you got to know, hey, God's purposes supersede who's in the White House. It's who's on the great white throne. That's amen. And so the, some of the people have to understand revivals have taken place under socialists, under communists. In fact, there's been more revivals to take place under hostile governments than under, you know, cordial sure. governments or at least governments that are favorable to the gospel. And so mm-hmm. God is not limited by many or by few to save. He can do what he wants to do with ever who's in the White House and everything else. And I get it. Amen. I, I think it's important. I have voted to protect life from the day I was saved. Uh, I, I, though I do not have a party affiliation, I always vote along the lines because I feel like, you know, life in the womb is precious to God. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think there, there is this thing where, and I may get in a little trouble, but hey, I'm on your podcast, bro. That's so I can, fine. I go go there ahead. Freedom. I'll, I'll get, I think there are three levels. I think there is agreement, there is alignment, and there is allegiance. So for instance, a particular party may have a platform that is favorable to protect life. So I have agreement with that party over that particular uh you know, whatever it is, that, mm-hmm. that particular law, that stance, that platform sure. of theirs, uh, whatever it is. So that's agreement. Now, the question is, if they come to a place where there's more of a uh, consistently on paper and at the heart of it with kingdom, then I can move from a place of agreement to alignment. alignment. Yeah. But the top thing is allegiance. A political party should never have our allegiance. Mm-hmm. That only goes to God. The Amen. only person Amen. that has our complete allegiance is the Almighty. Now, obviously, that, that the outgrowth of that would be in our day-to-day faith. It would be to our local body, our churches, or whatever. But no political party should ever have our complete allegiance. You may have agreement. You may move into alignment Although I think there's enough corruption in both parties. Again, this is the unpopular part. I think if the truth be told and the exposure took place, there's enough corruption and missing God on different levels in each party. So although, let's say a believer has agreement with a party, I think what we did is we misinterpreted agreement with allegiance and it Mm -hmm. it, it got exposed. And God was saying, the only one is to have your allegiance. And so wow. I, that's kind of feel that's good. some of my thoughts in terms of this current uh, morass that we find ourselves in. I agree 100%. Thank you so much for that insight. I just feel like 
the people listening right now can really glean from that and and receive from what you just said. A lot of powerful truth right there. Thank you so much for sharing that. And man, I wish I had some more time so we could dive we could dive into this even deeper. We could talk for a long time on this, but I want people to be able to tap into your ministry, grab a hold of your resources, listen to your podcast and everything like that because there's just hours and hours of content there where you break down things in a deeper a way where there's more time and all of that. And so, how do, how do people connect with your ministry, grab a hold of your resources and really uh, tap into to, to what you and your wife are doing? Yes. Hey, thanks for asking, bro. Absolutely. They can go to uh, Sh- Sean and Krista, C-H-R-I-S-T-A, Sean and Krista Smith.com. We've got a brand new website up. So www.SeanandKristaSmith.com. And it's it's awesome. And our books and our products and schedule and all that's there. We, uh, I've written a, a couple books. We we're talking about revival early on. I've, I've written a book, I Am Your Sign. And it, you can... Uh, you can uh, get your hands on that book through our website. My wife's coming out with a new book. I'm re-releasing Prophetic Evangelism. But we do. Our podcast you mentioned earlier is called Keep It 100 with Sean Christopher Smith. It's also on the Charisma Podcast Network or iTunes, Spotify, wherever they're listening to this podcast. They can probably find ours. So please go and download. We'd love to sit and have you uh, just listen to some of the guests that we're bringing on and the fun that we're having as well. And we love to just to keep it real and hit topics and so those are probably them Mm -hmm. and then you know we're on we're on instagram we're on twitter and all that stuff facebook so uh they can they can go they mine is at rev sean smith and my wife's at chris at miss krista uh smith and so they can they can get at us on instagram as well absolutely i definitely recommend for them to tap into your resources and to go and listen to your podcast keep it 100 with sean and Krista smith and the charisma podcast network and so definitely go ahead and do that for those who are listening thank you so much sean for joining me and just sharing the insight the lord has given you and the prophetic um you know just foresight and everything that he's been speaking to your heart right now man it's a blessing thank you oh absolutely michael it's, it's been a blessing thanks for having me on the podcast and uh, bro keep doing what you're doing man i so appreciate <laughs> your fire and your hunger and oh, desire to see uh us as a nation get woke in the right way come on man (laughs) amen praise god for those who are listening thank you so much for subscribing rating reviewing this podcast we can get it out to more people so they can be blessed and awakened through the gospel of our lord jesus christ bless you guys and i'll speak to you next time on awakened podcast Hello, let me tell you about this amazing online store, The Hope Filled Journey. You'll definitely want to check it out today. Michelle and Renee Torres, they started up this online store in obedience to the Holy Spirit in the midst of a crazy year, like we all know, uh, full-time jobs, raising four children, and they stepped out in faith, and God is honoring them every step of the way. You go to www.thehopevilledjourney.com. It's where you'll find extraordinary products, clothes, fashion accessories, jewelry, and more. Their goal is to inspire faith through their product line as well as high quality and all they do and produce, which we know is very, very important. Um, check it out today, thehopefilledjourney.com, and you'll get $10 off when you spend $50 or more. And you'll also get $20 off of your purchase if you spend $100 or more with promo code AWAKEN. So go to www.thehopefilledjourney.com. You'll get $10 off when you spend $50 or more, and you'll get $20 off if, with, with a purchase of $100 or more with promo code AWAKEN. I highly recommend it. It's an incredible store, so make sure to go to thehopefilledjourney.com today. <music>